episode 131, Real Estate Investing and Negotiation. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trusclair, and today we're Jude Mendonza's perspective. Join 2017 and 2018 Podcast Awards nominated host as we get a behind the curtain look at all types of doctors and guest specialties. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Welcome back to the show. Before we jump in, I did a cruise, a riverboat cruise with the Three Gorges Dam from Chongqing to Yishang. And my family went. It's very low key. It is not carnival. It is not Royal Caribbean or above. They nickel and dimed you like crazy. But overall, still it was fine. You know, we just paid some upgraded packages so we can do the things that we wanted to do and feel less nickel and dimed. But uh, very relaxing. It was great. These gorges, pretty cool. You can see how high the water could be versus how high it was. Uh, that was pretty impressive. And it's the biggest dam once you finally get to that in the world. It's like 2.3 kilometers long. And there's actually like, it took like 17 years to build. I was like, dude, that's a long time. But then when you see like the actual entire project, there's like four dams and whatever. What's cool is I got to meet a bunch of foreigners. As you know, there's not very many foreigners in this town at all. In fact, it's just me and then the occasional person that shows up. Really fun to just kind of kick back and talk. What do you do? How do you do? Where have you been? You know, all that kind of fun stuff. So it was interesting too, was that a lot of them were doing like a 16 day China tour and this was part of their tour. So you make the best of it. You have fun. We ended up doing the, uh, the Cupid shuffle, you know, we made, we played that music, uh, one night after the talent show. So we all had a little fun. Well, anyway, let's get back to the show. Jude joins us today. The good news is he's not selling a coaching program on real estate. Just wanted to say that up front. He's discussing his own investment strategies and what he uses for that. But another thing that he does is he's got a cell phone business and he's got different locations in different states. So I think he has a wide range of commercial leasing, being the landlord as well, buying 50 plexes, eight plexes, and even commercial spots of, you know, 20, 30,000 square feet. So he's going to go through all of that. What should we look out for as a tenant? What kind of build that can we do? Is there any way to get out of like triple net? Then he switches it at the same time and says, well, and if I'm a landlord, these are what I'm looking for as far as a good tenant, why I would choose to spend the money on these things, where I'm willing to negotiate. And then like I said, we're going to go into like why he's not a big fan of single family homes as rental properties and would prefer like anywhere from a, you know, fourplex condo and higher. And we go in the ins and outs of all of that. Really, it should get your mind thinking, okay, you know, this is the financial series. We've talked about student loans. We've talked about life insurance last week. And we had investing one-on-one. So this is another piece of your portfolio diversification. You know, some people are definitely like, hey, man, forget the stock market. Invest in real estate. Use other people's money. We'll figure out what that means. And then how to find distressed properties. He wasn't going into that too much. Kind of gives like a laundry list. Because let's be honest, once you start getting into that space, there's so many people selling you programs. And like he said, if you're interested in that, just, just hit him up on social media. And he can uh, at least advise you to people that are good and not just going to take your money. So strap in. All the show notes and transcript can be found at thedoctorsperspective.net slash 131. Write a review at .net slash reviews. Speaking of reviews, Bachman Dan wrote, Dr. Trosclair hosts an excellent chiropractic podcast. Great variety in topics range from clinical to marketing to recommendations for students. Very informative. Thanks, Doc. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Bachman, for that. And as always, if you write a review, I'll give you a shout out as well. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China and Montana, today on the show, we're going to wrap up our financial series talking about real estate. And on the show today, we have not a real estate agent. 
which is probably a good thing because they're so limited a lot of times. They got all these regulations. You can't talk freely, but he is not an agent. So I think we're going to get even more information than you can legally get otherwise. He also has businesses outside of that. He's, he's a published author. He does a little bit of coaching. He's got uh, some tech businesses as well. So he's a really well-rounded guy. Please welcome to the show, Jude Mendanza. Hey, how's it going, man? Doing great. Oh, I love, I love pre-chat. I found out you, you've been to China. You've enjoyed some of the festivities that I've experienced. And so it, it just brings it together, I think, sometimes when you right. have these bonds. For sure. For <laughs> sure. Yeah, it makes it a... Uh... Makes it more relatable because, you know, I understand like some of the stuff you're going through there and how awesome the experience actually is, how crazy it actually is. And also something else I didn't think about right away, but, you know, the time difference, you know, yeah. where, where you're at in time right now compared to where I'm at in time right now. 6 a.m., <laughs> baby. Different time if I would have known, but 6 a.m. ain't bad, so. Okay, I tell people, I actually wrote the schedule that I send to you, so my internet's better in the morning than at night. So I, I prefer waking up and doing this. I feel like, you know, everybody says you should wake up early at four o'clock, get your grind going. And I'm like, yeah, I like to grind at night, actually. Thanks. So <laughs> when I get up, I feel like I'm being more productive and like a book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this interview is going to talk about the investment side of, well, first, renting space, you know, strip centers, tall buildings, things to look out for as a tenant so that we can get the most out of our landlords. And then we're going to reverse it and say, well, as a landlord, how do we get the most out of our tenants? And then if you're buying big buildings and strip centers, what are we looking for? KPIs, those types of things. And then um, we're, we'll also talk about like flipping these things and, uh, you know, flipping real estate, buying houses or duplexes or multiplexes. So that's what you should expect on the, on the podcast today. So let's, uh, let's jump in. What, what kind of got you in to the real estate market? Um, so I... I've always understood, you know, uh, if you want to be successful, you know, you want to be rich, you want to be the best at whatever it is that you enjoy, learn from those people. So from studying people, I always saw that there was one thing that all the wealthy have in common, you know, people make money in so many different ways. You know, they have a big steel company, you know, they've got some online thing, just all these different ways. But the thing they all have in common is they all invest in real estate at some point. You know, and you start looking into it, it's very stable. Yeah, we've had housing crashes, things like that. Sooner or later, it always comes back, though, because people need a roof over their head, or at least people want a roof over their head. You know, this is something from all the way back at the beginning of time, you know, that we very first started out with trying to build a domicile, trying to build a place to keep us out of the weather. So it's a very stable investment. It's something all the wealthy have in common. So it just made sense to start figuring out and trying to find a way to get into it. I heard the profit or the point of real estate is you got to get it at a good price. That's how you become profitable. You can't worry about the sale later on. If you can get it at a good price, then that's how you win. Is, mm -hmm. that, is that true to you? So that, that actually works in all sales. It's not what you sell something for. It's what you buy it for. You know, if you're buying a watch to turn around and flip later, you know, it doesn't matter if you're going to sell it at 4000 5000 It matters whether or not you buy it at 3000 or 2000 Yeah, same thing with property, you know. You want it to cash flow now because you're renting it. You need to be able to buy it at the right price where it is going to cash flow. You want it to be able to withstand through a downturn. You need to buy it at the right price for that. So 100%, what you get it at now 
is definitely the, you know, one of the most important parts. There's also the aspect, though, of being an investor or buy and hold investor. Price doesn't actually matter. Terms matter in dictating the terms. So I don't mind paying full retail value for something if it's on my terms. You know, if I dictate a commercial property that's normally on a 20-year term, we do it at a 40-year term at this interest rate, you know, but then maybe there's a buyout after 10 or 15 years, something like that. So if you can manipulate things in the terms, then it doesn't really matter what you're buying it for. Especially if you can double the term length. My goodness, that would be like right. your right. note just got cut in half so you can actually make cash profit each month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Okay. Well, let's jump with the easy stuff first because I'm already excited about what you're talking about. But then we have to reverse it all back. So, Because I know there's an important aspect when you're trying to buy a piece of real estate for a commercial. You're looking at how many tenants they have available and then what's empty, what's the turnaround build out for the tenants. And there's like all these little numbers and like arithmetic. <laughs> you're supposed to use algorithms so that you can find out, yeah, this is actually worth it. I don't remember what they were because I only read a little bit of book about it. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting and above my pay grade. <laughs> right. <laughs> but let's go. Let's get meat and potatoes. We're all a bunch of doctors. We're typically leasing space for the first few years, if not our entire life, depending on what city you live in. So what are we looking for? What's negotiable in a lease as a tenant? What's negotiable lease? Okay, so yeah, you're talking commercial spaces here. Okay, right. so right, I got to get my mind on it. So I, I invest all over the place. Um, my preferreds are commercial and bigger apartment buildings, things like that. I don't like ho single homes, which we can get into that later if you want to know why. But so with commercial stuff, almost anything's negotiable just like anything in life when it comes to businesses there's always room to talk on the table and negotiate uh before i got into everything i'm doing i used to own a chain of cell phone stores we spread from montana out into washington and when we went out to washington we actually negotiated a really awesome price for the area where we were in in tacoma but we did it by doing a really long lease with them we knew we could do a really long lease because it was a business that survives downturns things like that so we knew it was going to be in there for the long haul so not a problem a lot of my spaces though with again sticking with the cell phone stores like even in montana some of the places we've rented is you find something maybe it's not up to par where you want it or you have to go and do things so you can you know negotiate hey you know uh, um we're going to come in we're going to be good long tenants but we have to remodel everything well that's going to cost money and i can't pay your rent out of the gate because of that so give me the first two three months free you know, but I'll sign a good lease for you one year, two year on top of that. But that gives me the money and the cash flow to be able to come in and do it. Some people do things like flooring credits, things like that. Like, oh, hey, the place looks really nice, but I would like a different floor. You know, if I put it in, will you give me a credit on the rent? And as a landlord, you're like, okay, yeah, I can do something like that because it's going to bring in a good tenant. And then even if you move out, I've got a brand new floor, which will help me rent it later. So. And then do the tenants, uh, the landlords typically, uh, if they spent thirty grand to build out for you, just include that into the rent over the next five or six years, though? Is that pretty standard? No. Uh, what I've seen, if they're doing the build out for you, is, yeah, it, probably on smaller projects, they'll do something like that. A lot of things, though, and I've never had anybody build out. We always had our own team, things like that. So we'd hire our own crew and everything that just negotiate something on the back end, like the free rent or getting a rent credit right away. Mm. Um, 
from small things that I have seen though, which I haven't been very privy to a lot of it is, you know, they t- tend to just get it charged right away. You know, Hey, okay. If we got to come in and do this for you, we got to pay for it. So it, it's got to happen in the first couple months that you pay that back. I'm sure there's probably some landlords out there though, where, you know, they're sitting pretty, they've got plenty of profit coming in on the building. They're like, yeah, we can break this out over a year. The problem with that though, is the failure rate of businesses you know, if you do ten grand worth of maintenance, repairs, whatever for somebody, and you're expecting them to pay it back, and they go out of business after three months, and you're, you know, on a two-year thing, you're not going to get your money back. Now you're taking them to court. So, <laughs> the risk-reward sort of thing. Right. Okay. Because I think on my situation, it was there for like twelve years, and then I was going to be there for another five, and so they just rolled in. I was like, "Dude, this got to be remodeled." It had like a New Mexico Aztec vibe to it, like with those wrought iron lizards, and it just—I was like, "No, I'm not. I'm not into this at all." <laughs> like, the lease went up. I was like, "We painting. We are doing everything." And luckily, they, okay, so that's cool that we were able to do that then. Right, and then again, once you're a long-term tenant, and they know that you're going to be there for a while, there's a lot of people landlords that'll just work it out with you like i know so we're in one of my commercial buildings right now it's thirty-two thousand square feet i have a guy he's like hey i want some new carpet in my office you know what i'll give you a rent credit on that man i'm not going to do hire the people i'm not going to pick it out i'm not going to spend the money on it you get all that done bring me the receipt i'll give you a rent credit the guy's been here 10 years he's going to be here longer obviously because he wants new carpet so why not take care of him on that okay any advice on triple net? I think some doctors don't realize until they get into uh, actually leasing. You've got your square foot price that you should negotiate, but then you got right. this thing called triple net. And when you're in a yep. tall building, those things can get out of control. Like they could be like five to eight more dollars. Is there oh, wiggle yeah. room in that, or how can you reduce that? What's the what's the appeal? So usually, so you've got two things. You've got your triple nets. And you have cam fees. Um, different places will call it different things. Sometimes they mean the exact same thing. Okay. Sometimes the cam fee is just common area maintenance. So, like, let's say this building, I charge everybody here $2 per square foot for their common area maintenance. So that covers, because there's a public restroom, you know, so someone coming in, cleaning the restroom. That covers maintenance on the air conditioners, things like that. That covers cleaning up the parking lot. You know, and that's money I put aside for all that. I'm not going to really negotiate with anybody on that because that's stuff that has to get done. And we want the place running, working right, things like that. Um, my biggest tenant, though, in this building, so they're a beauty school. They're renting like 13,000 square feet. They get a little break because they're renting so much. But I've also worked out in their lease that they're taking care of some of their things, too. So it balances out that way. Triple nets, especially like anybody in the bigger areas, you know, Chicago, New York, places like that, Phoenix, you, you're not going to get any of that negotiated because the rent, yeah, you can do something on that. You know, they want $22 a square foot, 18 15 whatever. You might be able to negotiate, hey, I'm going to do a five-year, get me down to 14 you know, something like that. Triple nets, though, triple nets covers the common area maintenance and it covers the taxes and the insurance like they're making you pay for everything which is why it's great to be a commercial landlord but you know um but the taxes don't go away you know the insurance doesn't go away that's a hard cost to them so they're not going to negotiate with you on that as a landlord is there a markup on the trip on it there 
isn't supposed to be. I mean, there's no rules about it, at least in Montana where I'm at, there's no rules about it. So don't quote me. I'm not a real estate, you know, a realtor, business realtor, anything like that. I'm an investor, so I don't have to pay attention to that stuff. There might be some places where there are rules about that though. But as far as I know, I mean, honor wise, usually what they do. So like one of my cell phone stores was in a pretty big strip mall here in Billings, Montana, where I currently am. They had a triple net lease went all the way around, but they would keep track of everything. All that money would go in account and it would all get spent. And like, let's say one winter, we didn't have a lot of snow. So the snowplow didn't get used as much. So there was extra money. So that went into the next year's fund, you know, and they would record that and everything. I'm sure there's plenty of landlords though, that probably pocket that, you know, spend it on their vacation, whatever. So all just depends on the landlord, you know, how honest are they, how much do they care about their building, their tenants and staying profitable. I think the place I was at did the same thing. We had a ridiculous snow here one time. And so we had to owe more the next year, but then it balanced yep. out because they, they would, they'd keep it more legit, which I thought was, yep. okay, cool, cool. You know, cause whenever you have a bunch of snow all over the place, you just want it gone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a commercial investor, you want to be like that because you don't want to take advantage of your tenants because they're going to go find someplace better. And you want to show you're actually taking care of the building and everything. And when you're giving them records like that, then they feel like a partner in the building and like they are being taken care of. Why are they going to want to move? You know, like my tenant who came about the carpet, took care of him on that. We've been honest about everything, handled any problems that come up. That guy's already been here 10 years. He's going to be here another 10 years because of something like that. Yeah. That makes us, as a tenant, really mad when your rent goes up every year and then you notice, dude, you don't even get to plow out there in the winter. Right. You're not keeping track of the flowers. You know, my air conditioner breaks. And, you know, you just feel the nickel and dime and you're not even getting anything for it. So at least when you, you're getting taken care of, you're like, all right, I can justify that. And now it costs me $500 more a month in year three. Is there a percentage increase this is what's nice. You have both sides. I don't want to pay much and you want to maximize. So what is a good number of increase per year in rent? So again, that's going to kind of go according to the area. Um, up in the Montana area, for example, we're right around 6%. Per year? And per year or per every other year. Depends on what lease you do. So okay. all my people in this building that we're in, they're every two years, you know, it goes up 6% because that's about inflation. 3% a year yeah. you know, is what we think. And you have to do that. It's, it has to happen because my taxes went up, my insurance went up, utilities go up, everything goes up. The cost of bringing out the AC guy goes up. I mean, but we already paid you then triple net. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, all all that stuff's part of it, you know. It's just it's part part of the deal of doing business. But there is a point too where you have to look at the numbers and go, okay, we're in a B building, a C building, you know, in this type of neighborhood. What's everybody else renting for? Okay, do I risk doing a huge increase, you know, and possibly losing this tenant, and they go across the street to the other guy's place? And then I got to find a way to replace them. Which is probably harder to How do. How long is that going to take? Yeah. You know, I'd rather keep a tenant long-term for a little bit less in rent than have it go empty. Have it empty because commercial is harder to fill than a house. Somebody needs a place to live. They don't need a place to do business. So it could take a week. It could take a couple years to fill a spot. That's a lot of money lost over nickel and timing. So you want, you kind of want to be honest. You want to play it smart. You want to see what the market's doing. 
and balance it out, you know? Is there any way to not have a personal guarantee oh, when you're signing a lease? Yeah, just negotiate it. Um, if your business is big enough, I mean, if you're a small business, probably not because – I don't say you're a doctor of a eye doctor, a dentist, a chiropractor. You're going in and, you know, maybe you have experience. Maybe you've got five years experience or 10 years experience. Maybe that makes a difference. But if it's called a newer business, it seems like there's no way to get around it. Without good negotiating skills, you're probably going to get hit, hit no matter what. When yeah. You're a bigger company. You can push out of that because, you know, if you got a subway coming in or something like that, obviously they're not signed in a personal guarantee. But you're like, it's subway. You know, I want you here. You're going to be here 60 years. So, right. Then you could probably get a longer lease too. You're like, I was looking at three to five. They're like, nah, we're talking nine or 10, 20 maybe. Right. right. So, um, everything's negotiable. I mean, everything in life's negotiable. It doesn't hurt to ask. You know, you just got to try. As a landlord, you know, as someone investing, you want to get that personal guarantee. Granted, I've got a lot of tenants I don't do that on because like, so the building we're in, keep using it as an example, the main floor is retail. The upstairs is all office spaces. Well, a massage hmm. therapist renting a unit for $400 a month, I'm not going to get a personal guarantee on. What do I care? You know, I'm not going to go to court over $400, $800, $1,200. That's not worth my time, you know. I probably over three years though. I'm probably not going to go to court with someone until it's about a hundred grand. Like it's not worth okay. my time. You know, that's just where I'm at in life. But bigger tenants, though, you know, like if they're renting thirteen thousand square feet, you know, they're giving me a very good chunk each month. If they moved out two years early, we're, we're probably going to have a conversation in court. You know, I'm going to because that bill is coming every yeah. month, regardless. No, I'm going to want that seventeen, twenty grand, whatever it is, each month for the next couple of years. Because I got I to gotta fill that hole, and that's a big hole to fill. 300-square-foot office, eh, that's whatever. You know, I can throw the mop bucket in there. But a big yeah, spot, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, that personal guarantee, I'm going to want that. On the other end, though, if you're starting a new business, you know, even if you are a doctor or something, and, you know, you realize, hey, I'm going to open this dentist's office, I need 4,000 square feet. Well, I don't really want to do a personal guarantee because deep down inside, I'm like, maybe I'm not a dentist who runs his own office. Maybe I don't actually like doing that stuff and I want to work for somebody else, but I'm just trying it because my wife wants to. So, yeah, you got to you got to try and negotiate for sure. So, Okay. Because, I mean, like you said, if you're the landlord, 10,000 square feet, that's a, that's a lot. That's like five extra businesses you would have to go in and remodel. Yep find businesses that want to do it and all of that like that would be really expensive on the landlord's part like pretty much all your profit is gone yep 100 <laughs> you're just trying to stay afloat for a while at this point 100 okay so let's switch gears then i like the way we did that it was like a back and forth tenant versus landlord <laughs> anything else you can think of whenever i think that was about i think that kind of covered it i mean i would only say if you're the tenant be careful how much money you're putting into a leased space because unless you really know your area if you really know your area then you can say this is an up-and-coming place you're not going to want to leave in five years the demographics of your neighborhood is not going to change because like my place it was changing and if i would have spent another hundred grand building it out to look perfect mm. I'd have been upset because they actually moved and they think they're doing better now than when I was, you know, just for like location. They get a lot more walk-ins, a lot more foot traffic just because they're on a mate, you know, on a better spot. Maybe not as nice of a building, but they get a lot more traffic flow. Right. You know, visibility. So it's like, wow, location. Yeah. As a tenant, you want to weigh out a lot of that stuff, especially if you're at the beginning of a business. But, you know, you don't want to go into a spot 
throw in 50, 60 grand, and then you find out all the metrics, everything you paid attention to, the foot traffic, all that stuff, it was wrong for your business. You know, and it, the spot's just not working out, and you possibly have to look for something else. Like, those things happen. Maybe the landlord's a total turd, hasn't been taking care of the building, and even though the face looks nice, you go in, remodel that old grumpy spot because someone was there 20 years, you know, it looks like it's from the 80s. It had to be done. Yep. <laughs> you throw in that 60, 70 grand, well, then you find out, you know, the boiler system doesn't work. It's freezing in the winter and the landlord refuses to fix it because he's like, oh, it warms up. It just takes time, you know, like, so you run into things like that. So you definitely, you, you got to be very studious. You got to pay attention. I mean, there's so many aspects to pay attention to, whereas you said, like, you don't want to overdo it, but can't underdo it either. You got to make sure it's done right, but be paying attention to everything. So that way, you know, if you do have to get out, you know, it's not a huge loss for you. It's money you can afford to lose basically i remember opening up a place in my hometown and it was a vanilla box and for those who don't know what a vanilla box is it's literally four walls and no floor and no ceiling like you have to build everything and now at that point the landlord's usually generous with helping you build stuff out or they give you higher rent i was like no there's no way i'm doing this like it would cost so much money to make this visible versus adding a wall or moving a wall and spending like 10 grand. I was like, there's no way I'm doing a vanilla box. Thoughts? <laughs> um, <laughs> I like that, the vanilla box. I've never heard that term before, but I mean, as soon as you said it, I had pictured in my mind what it was. Oh, what do y'all call it? <laughs> uh, I thought that was the interesting term. I, I, I Just an empty spot, you know, blank plate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I thought I was being jargon rich. Right, now. right. Hey, actually, you might be. I mean, it's just something I haven't run into, but it's something I'm going to use from now on. I like it. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of those things. You know, there's a lot of places, especially when it comes to your construction, where they'll build something up and it'll just be that blank, you know, long unit just done up. Might have the flooring in there, but that's it. You know, there's no walls because they're leaving it open for the tenant to come in and decide. Now, a tenant who's going to take over that, like a Jimmy John's, you know, they're going to move into something like that. And obviously, they're going to build it the way they want it because they need it. You know? Yeah, they're excited to right? do that. As an accountant, you know, you go in there as an accountant, you're like, oh, man, this is a lot of work. Like, I don't know if I want to do this. And that's where they have the signs of, oh, build the suit, you know, so they're going to negotiate something out with you because, yeah, you're not going to want to do all that. And you're going to want to get it figured out. But then on their end, they're going to figure out a way to charge you, whether monthly or over the next couple of years, get that personal guarantee and everything like that. But Above market rate for the area is what I noticed, too. <laughs> Especially this place. I was like, you're, no one even knows this strip center is around. Like, you pick the worst. You're like, this is the only place available, quote, downtown. And it is off to the side that no one drives on. It's like, you crazy trying to charge that kind of money i was like this it was more than what i was paying in colorado i was like that's nuts it's super expensive right. i was i mean me and my buddy you know you always compare numbers sometimes and i'm like my goodness just just on the savings he's having right there he's gonna outperform me right every day of the week unless i can like you know make that much more visits per month or something i was like this is crazy it just made me realize like how much it matters right. if you can pick the right spot i've wondered about the colorado uh, market you know especially colorado um california obviously they've been dealing with it forever but they got kind of the space but you got colorado oregon washington with the legalizations of marijuana because now people are buying up warehouses you know they're using it up and oh yeah new things so like places that were empty 
now there's a boom in the economy. Businesses are opening up. You got weed shops opening up. You got bakeries opening up. You know, you got supply centers opening up. Like everything's getting filled. So, man, commercial real estate, it, 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 that would be a spot to be in. Not now. Like everything's expensive now. But, I mean, 10 years ago. A couple years ago. Then, yep. Like, oh, you'd be making money now. And you're charging premium because a lot of people don't even like renting to that store sort of stuff. So, like Montana, we have medical marijuana here. A lot of people won't rent to it. I want more warehouses to rent to those guys because you can charge them a premium because they know no one will rent to them. So, you know, you got to. And they're probably there for a while. Yep. You got to blank steel shop as long as they don't get raided. <laughs> but you got to blank steel shop, you know. Normally, let's say you're renting a dollar a square foot. Well, to those guys, you're renting it out for $1.75 a square foot. No, because they're not a mechanic. You know, they run some risk and everything and no one else will rent to them. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. As long as you're not covering the heat bill, right? you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that's expensive. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's switch gears. We've been in business for a while. We're like, yes, we got some cash flow. I've been saving for this. It's time to buy a building and do the, I don't know how you set it up. I'm going to buy the building as Trostclair Real Estate, and then I'm going to lease it out to Trostclair Chiropractic, and the other 6,000 square feet, I'm going to divvy it up, and they're going to pay my mortgage on this thing. Woo! Right. Now I'm a landlord and saving all this money and paying myself rent and yada, yada, yada. Right. Okay. Let's talk about commercial. I don't However you want to do it. I, I like the idea of duplexes and quadplexes because once you jump in, you got four rents for the price of you know, a little bit more than a single family house. And as long as you can manage the, the monthly payment, I think you're pretty good. But um, how do you want to tackle this first? Is it all in one or do we need to separate it out? Yeah, if we can separate it out, I kind of want to hit what you just said on the uh, the, the residential real estate there. Uh, Let's do it. Okay. Let's be investment brokers <laughs> instead for now. Perfect. Perfect. So, okay. Residential. Here's the problem with the single family homes. Um, and I own a few single family homes. I think I have 13. So <laughs> a few, <laughs> just a couple. Um, the problem is, and I keep, I picked up a couple over the last year and not, not by choice. They were kind of just thrown at me. I, I hate single family homes and here's why. Let, let's just give, give a fair price, you know, across the country. We'll say you bought this place for a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. And you probably get it on a residential loan, but let's say it's on the commercial loan because of how many properties you have and everything. So you got 20 years, let's say 6% just to make it a little high. So what would that be? Uh, probably around like $720 a month is your mortgage payment. Okay. In, in my area right now, you know, two bedroom, $100,000, but not the most beautiful place. You rent that for $900 a month. Okay. You're making profit on $184 a month in profit. That's cool. You know, not including maintenance, taxes, things like that. So let, let's say all that thrown in, you're at $800 a month and we're renting it out for $1,000 a month. So you got that $200 a month in profit. Awesome. It's cash flowing. And every time, you know, the tenant makes a payment, you're paying on the mortgage, that's building that equity, your savings account. So you're building wealth while getting immediate cash flow. We love that. Here's the problem though with the single family. They move out. They were great tenants, had them for three years. Okay. You got to do just a little touch-up stuff, throw $500 into it. That's nothing. Awesome. Okay, it's going to take you two months to recoup that in profit. Well, it also takes you three months to get it rented. Okay, so you lost all that money. So that's going to take you longer to get recouped on top of that $500 you put into it. These people you put in, they're great. They're doing awesome for six months. Well, guy loses his job. 
you know, catches his wife cheating on him, something. Family starts breaking apart. He's drinking. They're fighting all the time. They're no longer cleaning up. Holes are getting punched in the wall. You know, place gets destroyed. You have to evict them. That takes another six months. You're a year, year and a half into this total mess. Get them out. Now you have to throw 15 grand into the place to get it cleaned up. Plus the amount. You've already lost all the profit for the last two years from missing three months of rent and two months of paint. Right. For $500. Like, people don't realize a margin of $180 minus taxes is not a lot. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Not at all. So. Not at all. Now you look at the opposite of that, you know, let's do an eightplex, for example. Okay. So you pick up an eightplex at $400,000. Hey, what's an eightplex for those who are like, what? Eightplex. So a fourplex, four units, eightplex, eight units. Which means eight apartments. Eight apartments. Yep. So you pick up there you eight, go. Apartments, Thanks, Jude. eight apartments, <laughs> um, all two bedroom, you know, all renting, let's say $800 a month. So that's $5,600 a month. Well, you bought this building because you're an investor like me, you know how to find someone with a problem. You know, if somebody, they died, divorced, whatever, or they just hate real estate, they don't like dealing with tenants. So you pick up this eightplex on a deal, $400,000, okay? So our payment's $2,800 a month. We're making $5,600 a month, okay? $1,800 in profit. You know, we're doing much better. Something goes wrong. Let's say you have one of those bad tenant situations. You have one... unit that's just empty because it's empty you know sometimes that happens another tenant issue get rid of him those other six units are still paying for the place that's forty eight hundred dollars a month you're only at twenty eight hundred dollars a month plus you know sat in taxes insurance it's still profitable even if three units go out it's still making a little bit of profit four units go out it's paying for itself so it's a thing of numbers so i like looking at you know 10, 20, 50, 100 unit apartment complexes because of that stuff. My single family homes, horrible investments. One thing goes wrong. How long does it take me to recoup that? Big apartment complex, hey, you know, something got flooded. We lost uh, 10 units, going to take some time. That's okay. Everything's still paying for itself. It's still cash flowing. We're still building equity. Life is good. So, what kind of empty rate? They say like, you know, if you have something as big as 50 vacancy. or 100 units, vacancy, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of rate is expected, industry average, if you will? So usually when running a deal, we try and do, me, my people, the groups I hang out with and stuff. So we try and do 10% for maintenance, 10% vacancy rate, and a 10% property management rate. Again, you're investing for freedom, time, building wealth. If you're waking up at three in the morning to go plunge a toilet from a phone call, you know, that's not worth it. So we throw property management in there. So you look at it about 10%. So, you know, you f- figure that out, do the math. I'm not going to try to do the math on an eight plex over no, what no. 10% is, but no. Okay. So roughly 10% you can expect. All right. Now, if you're a good landlord, though, you take care of your stuff, just like with commercial. So most of my units, um, I have property management on them. But we go in when somebody moves out. If it's an older place, been beat up, whatever, something we got on a deal, we remodel it up, make it nice, put people in there. And then we have things set up with the property management company where we've worked out with warranty companies on all of our stuff. So if something breaks down, we get it fixed right away. We take care of it right away. They need a fridge, fix it, replace it. You know, window broke, fix it, replace it. Is their fault? Okay, figure a way to charge them. Our fault? Cool, let's take care of it right away. 
you do those things, it's easier to keep a place filled because people know crummy landlords. They're everywhere. They've already lived through crummy landlords. So now they're living with a landlord like, wait, I called and they're here on the same day and took care of the problem. I'm and you're real. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so do and, you like, I like that idea too, because you actually said, look, I'm going to upgrade this crappy <laughs> inside, make it better. And now you might be charging 30% premium on this one apartment compared to the next right. one. And then once these people finally leave, eventually you'll have a nice place. Yep. Maybe you redo the outside a little bit better so that it matches the inside. You look at the area you're in because obviously you can't buy a C-class area building and do A-class stuff in it. Because A-class people aren't going to live on that side of town. So you do have to pay attention to that. That doesn't mean it can't be a C-plus class building or even a B-minus building, you know, do it up that nice. So everybody in that area of town's like, oh, I want to live in that one because, you know, it's still reasonably priced. It's in my area of town. It's near my friends, family, whatever. But it's the nice one. It's the one that shows the landlord's taking care of it. And we always see those. You can definitely find right? that one. It's, just, it's not marble cabinets, but it's it's a nice linoleum on top or something, whatever you guys use. Yeah. Have you ever taken a piece of an apartment and said, look, I'm going to make it nice and classy. We're going to add a gym. We're going to remove one of the apartments and make it like a gym so they have, there's an amenity or like a business office. You know, a two-bedroom apartment, if you had eight and you turn one into a gym and a business thing for people, I don't know if that's profitable or if it's necessary. Yeah, so that would be an A-class thing. You know, if you bought uh, two, 200 units like in an A-class area and there, let's say, there there was a storage room or something, you know, you turn something like that into it, I would never turn an apartment into that. Maybe, I mean, you know, if it's an A-class area and you're doing a portion of it, like let's say it's in Florida somewhere near the beach, you got 200 units, you're renting out 150 of them and 50 of them you turn into Airbnb. You know, then maybe I'd look at something like that. No. Um, okay. But otherwise, no, because other people don't do it unless it's like super high end, you know, like a tall scraper or something. Then, yeah, you're going to want a fitness floor and maybe it's an office floor, things like that. But no, usually yeah. pe people can go to the park and work out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I've been in apartment complexes before where they have them. Right. And sometimes you're just like, why'd you even waste your money? Because I mean, they can put it on their flyer now, but you look at it and you're like, well, right. if I'm really in a budget crisis, I'll use your gym. But other than that, like I'm going down yeah. the street. It's a marketing tool. And I've been in places like that growing up that were in C plus and B minus neighborhoods that had them. And you can tell it's a marketing tool. And like the equipment's not that great. They don't really have all that stuff in there. I mean, the person who's going to go out and work in there is the, you know, 58 year old man who's out of shape, but wants to feel like he's doing something, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't waste time on things like that. I have added washers and dryers coin op to places, you know, where it's like, okay, there's not a washer and dryer ability in any of the apartments. If mm -hmm. we find a little spot for it in a common area, you know, it gives them something. Now they're not having to drive anywhere. And, you know, we're going to make a couple nickels. So I lived in a place like that. It was it was my first time experiencing the whole boiler system. And downstairs is the only place where you could wash clothes. Like there was no option in your place. Like unless you really like put some pipes and, you know, you had to it would have been so rigged up. You would have been embarrassed to have anybody over. <laughs> right. Just for the convenience. So. You know, when I was looking at that place, I was like talking to my real estate agent. I was like, 
this is ridiculous. I'm a grown man. I don't. I shouldn't have to go to the basement and like wash clothes for a dollar. Right. And he goes, <laughs> would you just do the math for a second? He's like, what's a washer and dryer cost? Okay, how often do you wash clothes? What does it cost to do that? He goes, right. stop being an idiot. I was like, all right, all right, all right. 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 <laughs> Massive savings. <laughs> but it was just the point. I was like, I'm a grown man. I don't want to go to the basement. Right. <laughs> Especially when it's a creepy basement and then you don't know who's rifling through your stuff and... Yeah, you're not staying there for an hour in a hot, unair conditioned area. Like, nah, I'm gonna go back to my uh, my condo, wait around, and come back, right. hoping nobody stole it. <laughs> what a dig- ridiculous! Um, okay, we're looking for a, a big complex. What's a normal rate that you have to put down? Because an eightplex, we're talking what three, four hundred thousand, maybe. That's a pretty big chunk of money. But what's a you could put zero down? Why not? How's that even possible? This ain't Every, 2004. Everything's negotiable. So, so I'm different than a probably. A, I'm not a realtor. Again, you know, I don't play by the rules. I do things differently. I'm a real estate investor, so I don't use my own money for any deal. Again, I'm going to use the building we're in as an example. Okay, these people own this building for a long time. They had inherited it. Okay. As you own a commercial building, depending on how you do your taxes, most likely you depreciate it. So you depreciate it over the 20 years that you're able to. Well, if you ever sell the building, Uncle Sam wants that money back. Now, there's different tax things you can do and stuff, you know, like do a 1031 exchange, throw all your money back into a different property. But if you don't have that set up, when you sell, you're going to have to pay a huge chunk back. And on a, you know, $3 million building, that's going to beat some things up. That's a hefty penny to pay back. I find people, again, who are in trouble, who are struggling, have issues like that. Okay, These guys enjoyed the cash flow of the building. They didn't like the maintenance of the building and the calls and the dealing with tenants, things like that. So they want- Isn't that why you pay somebody to do that? A lot of people don't. A lot of people- It's only 10%. It's worth the 10% loss. A a lot of people believe if you want something done right, you do it yourself. And because of that, mom and pop businesses never grow. You see it all the time, right? You know, business lasts as long as the old man's around. And when he dies, it goes under. It's gone. Brother, I ain't plunging a toilet. Yep. Because they they didn't build a system, a process like McDonald's, you know, where Ray Kroc was like, I'm not doing it myself. I'm hiring people. If they can't do it, they're fired. I'm hiring the next guy. So, so you find people with problems like that. Okay. So these people had this property. They want the cash flow still. They don't want to do that. Okay. Let's work out an owner finance deal. You be the bank. I'll come in. I'll handle all the stuff you don't want to handle. I'll treat it as my own because it is going to be my own. And I'm going to write you a fat, you know, $17,000, check every single month. Okay. Well, um, I do want some money down. Let's say they want some money down. Okay. Well, what I do as being an investor, I don't like using my own money. I know Dr. Justin, you know. Doctors sitting with a lot of money and stuff, you know, whatever other business people with a lot of money all want a better retirement. They want some cash flow, but they don't have the time to do it. You guys are busy. Hey, I've got this building. Want to bring you in on, you know, give you a great return or maybe even make you a partner on. We need a hundred grand to put down. Okay. So you give me the hundred grand put down. We work out whatever deal we do. I give these guys a hundred grand. Then we take the building, get it running and going. Do that for a couple years. So like this building here, I bought for 1.4. We did some stuff to it, got the rents raised up, filled up some empty units. We got an appraisal at 3.2 million. 
okay, well, we just profited over a million dollars on the property. We're going to refinance it out, buy them out, take that money, go invest it in some other properties. That was money I never had. You know, it automatically goes somewhere else. So that's how you start building the wealth and everything. But that's how you can do it with no cash out of your own pocket. Partner with other people. Um, there are deals, though, where we've done it without any money at all, not even using other people's money. So like how I told you, I had three houses thrown at me recently, single families. I try and stay away from them. Two of them were family friends I've known forever. Just down on their luck, bad things have happened. Okay, we'll, we'll take care of the property, you know, make sure it doesn't go into foreclosure. Uh, you don't lose it or anything like that. The one, we did an owner finance deal. The other, we did a thing called the subject two. In every mortgage, there's a code in there called subject to. You go to a lawyer, they fill out the paperwork, boom, it's in your name. You take over the loan, don't have to go to the bank, anything like that. So hmm. there's a lot of strategies, a lot of great strategies. If you're willing to, you know, look for people with problems and help them solve the problem where you can get into something. Now, the normal way, the way where taught in life, in school, things like that, because, you know, we're taught to be, I'm going to get political here, but we're taught to be, you know, basically servants to the 1%. So not doing things the way the 1% does, but doing it the normal people. Yeah, you're going to find a place. The bank's going to want you to throw 20% down, 25% down, depending on what it is. So yeah, $400,000 building, you're going to have to throw $80,000 down. How long does it take you to get your $80,000 back, you know? That's horrible. I don't like that. So we're going to get yeah. creative about investing. We're going to find people with problems and we're going to solve those problems. All right. Let's go back. You went back to the bank and you refinanced. So, okay, two things. As a doctor and myself, I'm like, wow, if I could give you 20 grand to cover your thing and then now I work out something with you where I'll make 25% over the next three years or over two years, I'll make 20, you know, whatever, whatever. I want 12% on my money for the next five years and then... I'm done with you. You can you can write me out. That sounds great to me. I didn't have to do a darn thing. You did all the work. I just gave you 20 grand and I made 12% a year. That's better than my stocks. Right. Fantastic. And for you, you're like, that's great because I got you and you and you. I needed 60 grand. I found three buddies. They gave me the 60. I was able to give that owner his hat. He's happy. I'm like recapping in my head. So this guy's happy. And they said, look, but you, the, the new owner, uh, Mr. Jude, I still want 10 grand a month from you, even though you're buying it from me, I want 10 grand a month for the next six years. And you're like, cool, because I'm supposed to be making like 25,000. So I'm still making money. And then after like a year, like you said, you got everything situated. You go back to the bank and say, hey, it's worth 3.2 million. Refinance it. Now you owe $3.2 million. Let's just say 3 million. Now you owe $3 million to the bank, but technically you got 2 million free. So you can go out and buy yep. five more commercial buildings with the other bank's money, yep. and then now that's how you, once you get a deal like that, all of a sudden your empire can grow pretty quickly if you can find distressed properties over the next two years. Exactly. Is that kind of accurate? Yep, 100%, you know, and for anybody listening, and I don't know if you've read any of these books, but you look at like Robert Kiyosaki's books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, Perfect. and then even watching like Grant Cardone videos and stuff where he talks about, he wished he would have understood real estate earlier because he would be, would have been a billionaire quicker you know he would have already been there because there's nothing that builds wealth as fast as that and that's why if you do it right if you do it the traditional way throwing 20 percent down going to the bank things like that it can still happen but it's going to take time and the problem with doing that you're buying things at retail like right now where i'm at in montana 
we didn't get hit by 2008 the way everybody else did because we were already such a cheap state that people that were in suffering states were moving here. So that's boosting the economy. And we had oil all around us. The Bakken, if you hadn't heard of it, the Bakken, one of the biggest oil finds ever. We were exploding. So we're kind of like the poor man San Francisco, I want to say. Like our housing prices are insane right now. There's duplexes that I've seen. A buddy of mine actually I just messaged me two days ago, found a duplex he's interested in. I'm the real estate guy, so he came talk to me about it. $300,000. You will never cash flow on a $300,000 duplex in Montana. So you can't buy things retail. We have to find problems and solve them. And when you do that, that sets you up where, like going back to the Aplex example, I use that because I have an Aplex that I bought for that price. You know, we, we got into it, uh, puts a little bit of money down, you know, through some investors and stuff. We're sitting really good at it. We've had it for a few years. I'm actually working on things with the bank right now to refinance it. It's valued at 600000 now. So we're going to do that 80%. So, you know, we're going to be in there at what, 480000 when it's all said and done. So I'm going to have that eighty grand in profit plus some of that equity I've made. So we're going to have about $120,000 to go find another Aplex or something with and throw that into. Then in a couple of years, we're going to do that again and again and again and again. All right. And that's how you build wealth. I'd be remiss without asking this. How in the world are you finding distressed properties or people that are needing to get out? Like inside track? What's going on there? How how long does this episode go? <laughs> <laughs> He's so, like, that's actually my nine ninety nine plan. Right, you can get right. coaching on. <laughs> so, um, going back at the beginning, you know, when you mentioned it, so I am a coach and a mentor. I consult with businesses, things like that. Um, my specialty, what I coach and mentor, is working with men specifically on helping them to be, you know, successful in business, in their health, in their wealth and as husbands and fathers. So I don't sell real estate courses. So there's going to be no real estate course pitch here. Like I'm just adding value. Um, I just want to help people be free, be out of the system. So there's a bajillion people selling that program. Tons of them, tons of them. And I can tell you who's good and who's not good. I'm connected with so many of the guys and everything over the years. I can tell you the best courses and coaches out there that's an upsell. I don't get anything out of it. I just could lead you guys there. So if you look me up on Facebook later, I can help out anyone who's interested. But um, uh, sorry, going back, what was the question? <laughs> oh, how do you find like these distressed oh, yeah. homes? So finding them, there's many different ways. Um, a lot of it, building relationships and networking. So like you're going to have a local RIA in whatever area you live in, which is a real estate investors sort of group. You know, you're going to go meet up people there. Just talk with them. Let them know what you're doing. A lot of people start out in a thing called wholesaling, which is where you just go find properties for people. Uh, but the way you find properties, you know, you can go talk to property management companies. Let them know you're an investor. Hey, I'm an investor. I'm looking for buying old holds. If you have, excuse me, if you have any tired landlords, you know, they want to sell out, they're done with it. Maybe the property wasn't what they thought they were. Let me know. Connect them with me. The property, you're not going to be the only one asking this. No, you're not. But it's, it's again about building relationships. You're going to be hopefully the only one who asks it twice, three times, four times. You know, you're going to keep going back. You're going to do it with every property management company. You're going to go to uh, title companies. You know, you're going to ask, hey, can I get put on the foreclosure list? So they're going to send you the foreclosure list each month. You're going to look mm. through that. Who's in trouble? Whose name's repeating? Who has equity? You know, who's upside down? 
you're going to do a thing called driving for dollars. You're going to drive around town. Look, oh, that place has really tall grass and looks like the roof hasn't been changed in 50 years. I wonder what's going on there. You know, you're going to look up the address, you know, see see if maybe there's notes on the door saying like, uh, you know, county code violations, things like that. And then you're going to try and find the owners and go, hey, I see you have this really bad place. I want to get a hold of it. There's without going into everything. I mean, there's so many different things that you're going to put in place. You're going to build systems for uh, you're going to find bird dogs, you know, talk to your mailman. Hey, you drive all over this town. You see everything. If you see any foreclosed on places, you know, that are boarded up, maybe they got stickers in the window, the grass is overgrown, let me know about it. And if I wind up closing a deal off of it, you know, I'll give you 500 bucks. All of a sudden, your mailman's looking for you. You know, you're going to talk to the city code people. Hey, who's giving you problems? I want to fix the city code violations for you. I want to find that house, buy it and fix it up. What do you got? He's going to give you a list. Oh, yes, other people are doing those things too, but you can't worry about that. We don't care about competition. Competition's good because it means something works. Go do it better. So you're when you're looking for these things, I'm sure there's rules and laws involved, but a lot of this stuff, it sounds like you got a foreclosure list. Hey, Bob Smith, maybe it's time to go visit him mm-hmm. and uh, see if there's a way to work this deal without actually going to a bank in a traditional route. Yep. So some people, uh, you know, some people, they're scared. So they'll send a yellow letter, you know, they'll just send them letters, hope people respond when they're ready to sell. Some people do bandit signs. You've driven around, you know, seeing a sign up, buying houses for cash, you know, things like that. That's usually the thing that's illegal. People don't like the signs everywhere. So what people do is they'll take a ladder in the middle of the night, put the sign up really high so it's higher than the code enforcement guy is tall. So he leaves it up there. Yeah. (laughs) Tactics, right? I don't do things like that, but um, (laughs) that's what some people do. Again, it's just going out there, building relationships, finding things. Craigslist is a great resource, you know, doing 40 posts a day in the housing and apartments for rents, things like that. Hey, you know, paying cash for houses, um, tired landlord, just coming up with real gimmicky sort of things that are catchy. So So people who need that would actually respond to that. I look at that and be like, dude, can y'all stop spamming? But if you're someone who's like in that predicament, you're like, exactly. maybe it's I should contact them? Until you need it. Annoying until you need it. You know, you don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. Now you're getting a divorce. She's trying to take everything. And you're like, nope, we're going to get rid of this house. All of a sudden, you know, you need it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your, your dad died. He's in a totally different state. He's got a couple rental properties. You know nothing about rental properties. You're running a great practice. You know, you're making a million dollars a year as is. You don't have the time to go take care of that. Yeah, what do you do? That's a one of those guys is gonna find you because a guy like me, I've already talked to all the different probate lawyers, things like that in town. So they know me. They're gonna call me up. Hey, this guy Justin, his dad just died, he's super busy. Um, he's trying to figure out what to do with the properties. Uh, I'm going to give him your number or I'm going to give you his number, you know, and then you're going to contact out. So again, there's so many different ways. And what usually happens with investors is you just build a system that starts working for you. And then you focus on that method. I got some good friends down in Florida. They do a thing called short selling. That's when a bank's getting ready to take the person's place and it already has an auction date and they're going to auction it off. So we go, or sorry, not we, they 
go talk with that person because they have their ways of finding those lists, things like that. They go talk with that person, negotiate a deal, get under contract. Then they go negotiate with the bank, stop that auction date and wind up getting it at a good price and are able to save that person's credit, that person from foreclosure and help the bank out and make everything happen. That's all they do is short sales because they figured out how to make it work, how to make it profitable and how to create a system. So, and there's a thousand programs you can buy on short sales. Uh, yep, there is. <laughs> Sounds like yet again, if you can sell the course, it might even be more profitable than actually doing it yourself. Yeah, a lot of times you have that aspect of it too. Man, guys go out and deal, and then they go rent a Lamborghini and then build a course for it. So, golly, and you know that's what sucks sometimes about like marketing. They're so slick. They look so good. And then you get to it and you're like, man, there was nothing in this. And, right. you, and the rate is $10,000. So you give right. them the $10,000 because everybody's charging $10,000. There's no other way to get it. You're just like, all right, which one? Who am I going to give it to? Right. And then you realize, crap, because there's only one sale, one sale away, and you've made your money back. Maybe two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before I built my coaching thing and stuff, I started working on this about a year and a half ago. And it was something I had never planned on doing. People had always been asking me to, you know, mentor them coach them in business and i just that wasn't me uh one of my mentors finally told me jude you're being selfish and you don't deserve to be successful until you return it so i decided okay well if i'm going to do it i'm going to do it right i don't want to be one of those gimmicky guys so i started high high hiring sorry if i could learn to speak (laughs) started hiring better and better mentors and coaches so like while I was putting this thing together over the last year and a half, I started working with Pedjamin Godimi, writer of Third Circle Theory, Radius Own, Secret Honorage, Exotic Car Hacks. Started working with Jesse Itzler, uh, wrote oh, the yeah. 30, yeah, so NBA uh, team, Atlanta Hawks, things like that. Uh, work with uh, Dean Graziosi and Tony Robbins. They actually just did a video shout out of me pretty recently. You know, started working with real estate developers like uh, the Kingdom Real Estate and Tyler Chef, just finding the most amazing guys that were so far above me start learning from them. So that way I knew what I was going to put together was going to be real and not just a fake. Oh yeah, I'm successful. Look at my car, buy from me, you know, like actually build something real and get that proof behind there. Cause man, in this Instagram, YouTube day and age, there's just so much of it and it's so easy to do. So you got to watch out for that. And because of that, like in this real estate game, there's a lot of really phony investors because they're not getting taught the right things. And they're doing a lot of illegal things and saying things that actually are illegal that you can't do. And it's giving investors a really bad name because of it. Wow, that'd be horrible. I want to ask you the personal questions. What you, you kind of made a comment like you cover four different things with your, your coaching program. So give, you know, give us a couple of minutes. Like, what is that about and why would we hire you? Well, so why I decided to focus on men was because I didn't really have a good male role model in my life. My dad was a drug dealer um, in and out of prison. Him and my mom actually left me at 11 years old. And because of that, I I wanted to be like him. So I kind of went that same drug route. I spent most of 16 to 21 homeless on drugs, things like that. And I, I have four boys. You know, those are my kids. I don't want them to grow up and go through those things. I want them to be different. So... I learned I have to be different. I have to be what I want them to become if they're going to become that. You know, you can't just want your kids to be better. You got to show them that path. You got to teach them. 
Well, as I started going deeper and deeper into that, I started realizing that's a huge part of the problem in America and in the world is we have absent dads. We have dads that are just so focused on whatever they're focused on that they come home, they ignore the kids. They push little Johnny and Susie aside, you know, they'd rather watch the game. Men aren't being men anymore. You know, we're not men in the relationships. We're not leading the family. And when you're doing that, things become stressful at home. Well, when it's stressful at home, even if you're successful at business, sooner or later that stress comes over and the business starts to fail, the health starts to fail. Or if a man's unsuccessful at business, he'll bring that stress home. He's yelling at the wife, you know, he's drinking. There's all these issues. So it came down to we have to save, you know, we have to save the male. We have to save the man, the king. We have to make him better at not only a business, but we have to make him a better husband a better father. We have to make him better in his own personal self and his spiritual relationship. We have to make him better at his health. So, you know, what's the point of being successful if you're so fat that you can't get off the couch and go enjoy your success? So that was the whole point was to help men be the best that they actually can be, be their best self possible. There's no reason you can't have an abundance in your business, in your marriage, you know, with your children and in your health. Uh, what's one thing men really have problems with, you know, not enough sex anymore in the relationship after a while in the marriage. Well, why is that? Men are doing things differently than they did when they were first dating or at the beginning of the relationship. We get lazy. You know? Why am I having as much sales in the business? We were doing so great before. Same sorts of things. So we built this program, this coaching method to work with men to make them successful in those four areas because you, I don't want you to just be the best salesman. I want you to be a man that's going to go out in the world and change things for yourself, for your family, for your business. Somebody that my kids are going to be able to look up to. Oh. See, perfect transition. So you're still married? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we actually so. just yesterday, because my wife celebrates every moment, as 14 <laughs> years ago yesterday is when we first met each other and talked. <laughs> you know what? My wife does the same thing. I'm like, there's so many dates to remember. Right. <laughs> I got two marriages. The marriage in, in China that didn't actually count because we didn't get the paperwork in time. And the oh. real marriage in America. And I'm like, well, which one are we supposed <laughs> to celebrate here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you do those things, pay attention to them, even if we forget sometimes. But you do those things. That strengthens that relationship so much more because she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, he actually cares. No other husband would do that. So the fact that you even know something like that's huge. In the day and age when you put in, I mean, I get birthday reminders. like, who are you? Why are you even in my calendar? So it's like if I could just put a yearly reminder that, hey, I just get reminded. Yep. <laughs> so you forget it. You do it once and then Google takes care of it forever. Yes. <laughs> but um, you just got to remember to do it. So. What's uh, since it's a whole coaching program, you don't have to get too crazy on these answers, but um, spouse and kids. So two different questions here. You can tackle them kind of what can you do to keep your marriage ex exciting and happy and, uh, you know, stay close. And then two, you got four boys. Right. You're entrepreneurial like crazy. That doesn't mean your kids are going to give two craps about <laughs> what you do. But you're like, dude, I could set you up like people are paying me to learn this. You're my kids. If you would just listen. Right. You could have a real estate empire by the time you're 25. Right. So and I'm not sure if that's, an, if that's a goal of yours to teach them how to become entrepreneurs and business people. But if it is, how do we do that? Right. So, um, okay. So first question, how do you keep the marriage exciting? Right. Yeah. Okay. So with that one, you know, it goes back to 
marriages start to fail because a couple things, but one of the big things is people quit doing the work. You know, love is work. It's a four-letter word. You know, it's not just rainbows, butterflies, and happiness. You got to put in the work. Well, with women especially, women have a couple different love languages. One of them's time. You know, they want your time. The other's gifts. And they don't have to be big extravagant gifts. You know, when it comes to gifts, if you write your woman a poem, even if you were so anti-poem, she's going to go nuts. She's going to tell all her friends. All her friends are going to be slapping their husbands going, why don't you do that? You know, Justin does that. Mm -hmm. You buy her just a card. You're at the post office one day picking up stamps, dropping something off. They got cards right there. You just grab one. You don't even have to read it that well. As long as it doesn't say grandma on it by mistake, you know, you're going to win. Yeah. I like to go to the local grocery store we have. They do three bouquets for $15. And, like, they're really small bouquets. But I'll pick up three different ones, you know, like a yellow flower, a purple one, and a blue one or whatever. Bring that to her. She loves it because it just shows I thought about her that day. Doing dates. You know, uh, if you anybody follows my uh, business page, Jude the Barefoot Millionaire Mendonca, um, I've started doing a video series on Mondays called Marriage Mondays. Um, we just did two episodes ago. I was showing we had bought some paddle boards. You know, so instead of just going out to a movie where you don't speak to each other, now we're doing an active activity for a date night where we're standing on some paddle boards, we're talking to each other, we're having fun. Man, she loves that. Like. Those are the things we used to do when we dated, you know, because when you date someone, you're trying to learn about them. You're all excited. You're spending this time with them. But then after you get married, you know, the football game is more important. Do the work, put in that time, and that's going to build that relationship. That's going to make her look at you as the leader, as the husband, and make her want to help push your dreams, help make you successful, you know, put in the time, the love, effort that you want. That's what's going to get you from sex, you know one to three times a month to two to three, five times a week. Those are the things that the women crave. So we do those things. That's what helps the marriage. That's what helps build it up, keep it going. But again, it's work because as men, you know, we're lazy. We want to lay down and watch the football game. It's actually hard to think about buying flowers. For years, I didn't do it. Our relationship at one point, we were on the verge of divorce. You know, just being honest with you here. And that was... About eight years ago. Now, we, we are so close, so tight. She pushes me on everything. She helps me with things. I've had rentals where we've had to gut the whole thing out. She's down there cleaning that whole house out, tearing everything out, you know, working nonstop. Like, she's pushing the dream. She's a partner now and not just a wife who I have set aside. So, mm-hmm. then the second question with the children, uh, hit me with that again. Oh, sorry. I went long-winded on that one. Um <laughs> You got kids, you're entrepreneurial, assuming you want that for your own kids so that they can be successful at an earlier age. How do you teach them that? At a, you know, because you're, you're their dad. They usually don't care what you think. <laughs> so um, there, there is a Kiyosaki book. Uh, uh, was it Rich Kid, Poor Kid? Um, something like that. I haven't read it yet. I did buy it. Um, it's kind of in my stack of books. I have a list and yeah. it's in the stacks. So I just haven't done yeah. that. So I have heard from a lot of people and I've heard people talk about it. There's a lot of great info in there. So I'm just going to throw that one out there as a freebie. But for me, again, I'm spending time with my wife. I'm spending time with my kids. Yeah, 
we do a little TV, like a movie night here or there. We'll buy some snacks, things like that. But it's not TV every day. You know, I'm not letting the TV be the babysitter. Yeah, we'll play a video game every once in a while, but I'm not letting the video games be the babysitter. We take our kids on bike rides. You know, I bring them to work with me sometimes. Let them help take part in a project. We talk about things together. My kids are young. They're nine, eight, uh, six, turning seven, and five. So very okay. close together. But I'm spending so much time with them. Like they've even helped me uh, put a mastermind together. I'm down in my basement. I've got like 12 whiteboards on the wall, and they're sitting down. They're asking questions, and I'm explaining things to them. They want to do a business with me because of that stuff, because I'm putting that time and effort. They see me excited. They see me doing successful. So they're like, Dad, how can we do a business together? You're still their hero at this age. Yep. So start yeah. talking with them about it. Okay, well, let's come up with an idea. So we spent a few months coming up with ideas. We finally narrowed it down. They want to make pet toys. So now we're looking into how to do that. I'm teaching them drop shipping so they oh. can find things on China. Yep. You know, do it that way. Then once we build up money, we'll start white labeling some things. So just being connected with them, putting the time with them, that's going to make them want to do it. Remember the song Cats in the Cradle? Cats in the Cradle, Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue, Man on the Moon. When you coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. Or when you coming home, dad? Again, as parents, you know, dad gets off work. What's he do? Ignores the kid, watches the ball game, or he goes out to the bar. The kids, they're in public school eight hours a day, so they're getting raised by the government, and then daycare after that or on their own after that, so we're not putting any time into them. Again, a love language. Kids' love language is time. They want to be a part of dad, so you put that time and effort into them, they'll grow up to be entrepreneurial. They'll grow up to follow a dream. They'll grow up to want to be like dad because dad put that effort into them. They won't grow up with that spite and that hate and that rage. Wow. That's really great. See, I really hope I can do that with my own daughter, like do something where they can learn, you know, how to podcast or do something, you know, whatever, just learning those lessons. So that's why I asked that question. Oh, yeah. head start. Like, hey, you don't have to go to college if you don't want to. But if you're not, let's make sure that you know what you're doing to get out there and make some money. Yeah. And you just do some projects with her, you know, just pick one out and go, hey, honey, uh, what do you think of us doing this together? And She'll be like, yeah, dad, I want your time. Let's do this. And then they'll get excited about it. Kids get yeah. excited about whatever we're excited about unless we do it too late. You know, you can't wait till they're 20 and they've got issues and they're not being the kid that you always wanted them to be. And you're like, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> you got to do it now. You got to build the foundation for them to build that size scraper off of. Awesome. Uh, before you go, any other uh, books or podcasts that you would recommend? Oh, sh shameless self-promotion. Yeah, I, I recommend for books, The Freedom Blueprint by Jude Mendonca. You can get it on Amazon. We just uh, re redid the book cover. It's beautiful. I recommend checking it out. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. And then we actually have a podcast too, um, The Freedom Experience, that we took a little break from because we had bought in a new company, a supplement company. We're just relaunching it again next week. It's going to bring a ton of value. We're actually weekly going to go through all the things we're doing in this company, how we're building up the brand and actually making it profitable and taking it to, you know, a seven, eight figure company. So there's going to be a lot of real world, actual on the spot value because we're going to tell you the problems we run into, different ways we're coming up with solutions and, you know, how we're trying to build it up. So, um, so yeah, I recommend That's great. I'm going to have to tune into that. I like listening to those types of things because I was, I followed a, you ever heard of Jungle Scout? No, I haven't. 
uh, people like doing Amazon where they, they, you find a product that you like and then you improve upon it and then, you know, they Ooh. teach you. Part of it is them teaching you how to actually do the Amazon dropship and white labeling from China and then selling right. everything on Amazon. But uh, they were taking it through um, bamboo skewers. Like, you know, skewers. Right. And so they walked you through the process of everything. And then even like six months later when they had copycats come in and like try to cheat them on price and stuff, they went through all of them. I was like, this is amazing. And I got all excited. I was like, but what would I sell? Right. <laughs> so, so I didn't really do anything with it, but I got so excited. So that sounds like a really good thing because supplement companies, I mean, I've even looked into that. I was like, there's so many. And you know, as a doctor, there are certain things I like. And I'm like, man, if you could just get like one pill or just a short, not a big line, but just a few things that you always recommend. Right. If you can source it, because so many people can just create a product. Like, it's very easy. I went online one time and I was like, wow, like, like that, I could have a, a white label on this other product, but I didn't really like what they were selling. Like, I was like, I don't think your product's worth anything. You know, it wasn't that great, but I could do it. Anyway, I didn't know how people actually do these types of things. So this will be really fun. And what was it called again? Uh, the Freedom Experience. Freedom Experience. Yep. You got one person excited at least. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'll be checking out that jungle one too because that sounds really great. Like I would love hearing something like that, even though it's a space I've been in, just to you know hear other people's takes on it, see what they've done. Maybe it'll be one I'll listen to with the kids since the kids are trying to get their own product going, and then you know get that white labeled. So that'd be a good one. It's actually a blog though. Oh, blog. Okay. Well, I'll read yeah, you got to read. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have the whole thing. They like they sell Who a Google extension and all that this. Yeah, well, I'll just train, get somebody to read it. Y'all know you're a big enough company. Come on. Right. Make it. Jeez. Well, what, what's all the links? Where can people find out more about uh, Mr. Jude over here? Perfect. So um, the podcast, Freedom Experience, you can find it on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, all the normal things. As for finding me, I do have a website, judemendonsa.com. Um, we are going to be redoing it, though. It's kind of old, so I don't really recommend it. But you can find me online, Facebook, Jude Mendonca, or my business page, Jude the Barefoot Millionaire Mendonca, and just follow along from there. Uh, Invictus is our mastermind. We're just launching the website for that. So, Very good. Well, I hope everyone got some valuable information. I mean, this is, to me, has been really good, really rounding out this financial series that we just finished up your, your week four. Uh, so really excited about that. Really happy that you brought so much good value and willing to go as long as we did today. Um, really appreciate that. So I hope people will definitely contact you through this uh, podcast. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and I hope I did bring value to all. That was a powerful interview. Like I always say, please listen, critically think about it, and then implement. I know a lot of people don't always make it through the end of the episodes, but I encourage you, if you made it here and you, and you talk to your friends about it, encourage them to do it. I think the, the family and vacation and the home life balance part at the end is important. It's something that I didn't get in a lot of those other podcasts that I was listening to. So check them out. Minisodes, Thursdays and Saturdays, those come out. Let me know what you think about that. If you have any episodes that you want me to do for the audience, just send me a message on Facebook. Justin Trostler, MCC, is the official page of everything about me. You can find the books, the acupuncture, no needle book, the Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health book that talks about weight loss, exercise, dieting, and financial health. You can get free chapters at .net slash chapters or slash NA protocol. So that way you can experience the book before you buy them. If you're interested in any of the interviews that I've been a part of where the roles have been reversed, it's .net slash as heard on. 
The resources page on the website has all the products that I recommend and there's some deals for some of those. So check that out. And as always, if you click any of the hot links in the show notes page for books, we get a little piece of that and we appreciate that as well. The .net slash support is the webpage if you want to buy to host a cup of coffee. And lastly, reviews are always, always appreciated and so grateful when you get them. So that's a doctorsperspective.net slash reviews. Y'all have a great week. We just went hashtag behind the curtain. I hope you will listen and integrate what some of these guests have said. By all means, please share across your social media, write a review, and if you go to the show notes page, you can find all the references for today's guest. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.